everyone, and this is episode 248 of the Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network, and we may just as well call this the Josh Hader trade episode, because uh, that's what we're going to spend most of this time talking about, and and we're coming to you doing this a, a day later than normal, because we kind of were hoping the Brewers would make a move before the trade deadline, so we get to talk about it before Ryan leaves on a boat for vacation soon. Uh, 6 a.m. wake-up call on Tuesday morning for Ryan, and uh, sure enough, there was a trade that kind of broke Brewer's Twitter this afternoon, right in the middle of everyone's lunch break, so everyone had plenty of time to get all angry about it, too, on Twitter. Um, So we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but first, Paul, Ryan, how are you guys doing? You just glossed over that Ryan's taking a boat to see fish. Like that's like yes. the, it's right there. Yes. Um, the reason why we're not waiting another day until post deadline and thus guaranteeing that this episode is out of date within 30 minutes of you hearing it is <laughs> uh, Ryan in his own words is a dirty hippie who has a problem. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am uh, taking the Lake express and the amazing thing about it is it's actually less expensive for me to rent a car on the other side of the lake than to take my car and put it on the boat. So yep. I'm just renting a car on the other side and then uh, be returning it two days later. I will be leaving on the 6 a.m. ferry on Tuesday, and I will be home by noon on Thursday and with two fish shows under my belt at uh, the Blossom Music Center in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, and the Pine Knob Music Center, which is in Clarkston, Michigan, just north of, uh, of Detroit, is my understanding. Yep. So that is, that is where it is. It's where the cool mm. people go. <laughs> I've heard good things, so I've been to Blossom before in 2012, but I've never been up to Pine Knob, so I'm looking forward to that one because I've heard very good things. Yep, I've never been because I'm not a cool person. Um, that was implied in the sentiment there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the big thing is, is Ryan, are you going to see the 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 songs that you want to see? Do you, do you have a Fish Fantasy League team picked out? Or I, I know we were kind of talking about this the other week. I, I haven't picked my uh, my set list for tomorrow. I figure I'll do that on the boat, Jeez. actually. That seems like a thing that I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll work on my set list on the boat Good because idea. I need something to do in the two and a half hours. So, yeah, might as well. I, I can't believe there's there's a quote-unquote fantasy league for, for Fish set lists, mm. but um i'm not surprised that ryan is a part of it if it does exist so that's that that tracks that Mm -hmm. really tracks and you'll be shocked to find out that i do quite well at it during the during the fish show do they does apple have like a live odds update play in the lower right hand corner (laughs) (laughs) they should i actually i should get in on that scam and like do that because i've already got the uh like the the proof of concept provided by whatever that stupid company was that did that. So I could really clean up, except I don't think fish would be into it because they're like not scammers. <laughs> so I was going to say commercialization doesn't seem like their thing, but no, know. <laughs> generally avoided. They're, they're more commercial than they were in the nineties. They actually used to, uh, not a, they made uh, venues cover up any advertising that was open. So if you had like a Bud Light sign, they would make the venue cover it up or they would refuse to play there. It was in their contracts and everything. They did that throughout the 90s, but now they don't do that anymore. That was something their old management group was all a part of, not this one. But yes, it's very in keeping with the whole aesthetic, right? Yep. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. And and, and I'm very happy for you that you're so excited. Um, 
very happy and, and hope you have a great time. In the meantime, <laughs> you traveling for most of Tuesday, all that guarantees that there's another massive Brewers move there, coming there, up. I mean, there definitely is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to be the indication reading all the reports too, whether uh, it, it's Omar Narvaez or Colton Wong or, a pit, you know, anybody else. But... Or outfielders. Yes, exactly. Well, here's what I'll request for everybody here is if y'all would please... If the Brewers do something big, start spamming my Twitter like crazy. Let me know that something has happened, and I will turn off whatever podcast I'm listening to and flip over to, because I'm sure the rental car will have uh, uh, MLB radio or, yeah, whatever the, the MLB network radio is, and I can flip over and I can get the details on it that way while I'm driving tomorrow. So that is that is all of your sacred duties to do that. All right, we'll we'll try to keep you posted. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've got my Jeff Passan Twitter notification alerts on, so my phone will light up if anything happens while we're recording this. But uh, before we get too deep into the Josh Hader talk, a reminder, as always, if you'd like to help support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. I could do question priority on all of the podcasts on the network, including the reporting as eligible pod, which uh, Packers training camp starting up. Uh, be on the lookout for episodes there. I think I'll have a mini pod next week, and I am recording a season preview with a bunch of cool people um, this week, later this week, starting nice. on Wednesday. I'm talking to uh, Arif Hassan of The Athletic on Wednesday to preview the Vikings and Kentley Platt um, of uh, a few different places. Now, the inventor of Raz, of relative athletic score on Friday to do the Lions. Still no Bears yet. The Bears still have no good analytics people, but we'll find one. Well, and a couple (laughs) things, too. So first off, uh, James and I did record the draft wrap-up minor league extra last week, and it is up for patreon sponsors so you can go ahead and listen to that i think it was a very good episode we've uh we've been hitting our stride lately so i think that uh we got a lot of good information out there and i quizzed him on his uh correct call and all of those things so very happy about how all of that went and uh yeah i think it's a a good show and very much worth uh checking out so if you uh if you've been maybe putting that off now would be a good time to do it. What was heading into Packers season also? So now you can get the double up content of the uh, the monthly extra thing. So exactly. You can do exactly. that. Exactly. And that's all at the five dollar level. So mm-hmm. uh, level up to five bucks. You get that minor league extra draft recap. You get Paul's Packers mini pod coming up and in everything else coming up uh, that we may do extra on the Patreon side. So uh, go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate uh, for more info there. All right, so let's well, hold on, yeah. hold on. Let's let's okay. play this out a little bit before we start. Okay. I do want to say one quick thing because I think it's being missed right now. The Brewers are seven and two since the All Star break, and they've been bludgeoning the holy hell out of teams. Yeah, that was going to be you know the I had a I, I know nobody but news geeks like me watched the newsroom, the Aaron Sorkin show, but there's the throw at the that, rundown line, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of iconic in my circles and. Had I uh, started a rundown before today, uh, that would have probably been on it. The st- starting by talking about the Brewers being seven and two since the All Star break, they look awesome. Uh, at least more fun to watch. <laughs> they have. Hitting. Yes, that's correct. Um, it, they've been entertaining. So I was all getting ready to talk about all that stuff. Uh, luckily. Also, with my uh, news background, I know better than to plan ahead too far because <laughs> things will happen. Uh, we plan and the news gods laugh and and 
yay, he laughed today. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, so, of course, after literally uh, years of trade rumors, I feel like we've been talking about Josh Hader trade stuff, at least since I started doing this podcast like two years ago. Uh, it finally happened. The official deal, of course, is Josh Hader to the Padres, foreclosure Taylor Rogers, right-handed pitcher Denelson Lamette, and two prospects in outfielder Asturi Ruiz. I'm going to mess that up every single time. <laughs> and pitcher Robert Gosser. Uh, so definitely surprised that it happened now, considering, as we said, the Brewers are 7-2 and two out of the All-Star break. Uh, definitely did not anticipate, given that start, even with his struggles in the last month, that this would be the time to deal him. But, you know, the Brewers basically said after the trade they weren't looking to trade him. They weren't making outgoing calls, I believe, is what David Stearns said. But the Padres, uh, of course, <laughs> Preller and company came calling, as they are wont to do in the last 48 hours before the trade deadline, and kind of made an offer they couldn't refuse. So... Of course, you know, trading with the Padres has worked out pretty well for David Stearns and Matt Arnold in recent history. What with Eric Lauer, Luis Urias, and even to a lesser extent, Victor Caratini, uh, who's who's playing well for the Brewers now this year. But um, obviously a lot of mixed emotions, I think so much so that the team knew this would be somewhat controversial, that they got out right away with a prepared press release statement, like within minutes of uh, announcing the trade and <laughs> just reading a little part of it here. Uh, you can kind of read between the lines a little bit, but saying in part, quote, this mix of present major league talent and high level prospects furthers our aim to get as many bites of the apple as possible and ultimately to bring a World Series to Milwaukee. Trading good players on good teams is difficult, and that certainly is the case with Josh. We also recognize that to give our organization the best chance for sustained competitiveness, to avoid the extended down periods that so many organizations experience, we must make decisions that are not easy. So, of course, a lot of PR GM speak there. Uh, the, the bites at the Apple thing kind of uh, rubbing some people the wrong way, given that they've had four bites in a row recently and uh, have choked on those bites every single time, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, plenty, plenty of takes Monday afternoon, of course, and, you know, ranging from what the hell are the Brewers doing to, you know, especially considering that a playoff spot's far from assured at this point. They're only, I think, three games up on the Cardinals. There was a lot of how does this help the team this year and a lot of hand wringing over the prospects. So I feel like there's a lot to talk about here. So let's just kind of tackle things one by one and start with how does this affect this year's team? You know, we've talked about a lot, especially in recent weeks with Josh Hader's struggles, how reliant they are on that near-perfect end-of-game pitching to pull out wins. Um, I guess, Paul, let's start with you. Does your feeling about this trade maybe come down to whether you think Taylor Rogers can be almost Hader-like? I mean, <laughs> surprisingly, he's kind of struggled around the same stretch, too. Yeah, um, so this... This trade actually, I think, warrants a full episode because there's like five million different factors that go into it. Um, and I guess if you want to start with Taylor Rogers, Taylor Rogers has been one of the best relievers in baseball for many years. He's having a down year right now um, by things like ERA plus um, and ERA, unfortunately, the one that gets you, you know, on the real field. But his peripherals are pretty much like they've always been, and there's a good chance he'll bounce back in the short version. Um, from the hater perspective, though, I do think this really does come down a lot to what you think he's going to do the rest of the year because he is important um, 
for them actually closing down and winning games. And I do think he's important in the playoffs too. Um, maybe more so than your average player, just because of your ability to play at high leverage. And I know he's been mostly a closer and maybe would continue to be a closer, which we'll get to in a second for part two of this analysis. Um, but, you know, if you get into a dire situation in the playoffs that is do or die, he's a nice weapon to have. Now, all that said, the fact that he's not the fireman Josh Hader anymore, that he is closer exclusive Josh Hader, makes him substantially easier to replace. And perhaps even improve upon if you have players who aren't sticklers for the ninth inning. Um, if you can play more leverage and more platoons with your pitching staff, you can actually do a better job than if you have a designated closer like Hader is. So uh, I know we've talked a lot in the past about how it's kind of a nice mix because Hader is, uh, he wears out quick, he is injury prone, and the closer role does also help to preserve him to some extent, but that also is a weakness. Um, and so if Hayter goes on to be dominant for the Padres and they don't have him as a weapon in the playoffs, it's not great. Um, that, like it, Rogers is a good, uh, certainly a good fallback if he rallies back. If he does bounce back, and the stats say he probably will, that that's it's not as bad. But you've lost a, you've lost a good weapon here. But there are also some indications that Hayter might be actually slipping a bit um, in his peripherals. And if that's the case, and the Brewers are selling high on a guy that they see problems with then this is, uh, this is actually a win for them um, across the board. So this can go a lot of different ways, and it, a lot of it just depends on what, what is really there for Hayter going forward. Yeah, I think it was Branch Ricky always talked about being better to uh, trade a guy a year too early than a year too late, because if you try to trade a guy a year too late, you're really losing a lot of value. So you kind of need to be a little bit more aggressive, be a little bit ahead of the curve, and to make a move maybe before people expect it. And he was very good at that. And I, I think there's a chance that that's what the narrative on this ends up being. I think there's a potential, as Paul was saying, there's so many different facets to this and there's so many different ways this can go. But I think one of the strong possibilities here is that this will be remembered as, oh, at the time, that seemed like a really bad idea. And now it's looks a lot better in retrospect because Hater wasn't as good down the stretch either this year or in going forward in the future. Uh, we've talked forever on here. This is going back to 2017 when this podcast started with you know, me and Steve and, and JP. It was, I think, one of the one of the first things we talked about was like, when is it going to be time to trade Hater? I predicted he's getting traded every year. I literally have. So yeah, uh, my my shtick is dead. <laughs> what, what <laughs> Long live the shtick. Yes. So, uh, but. The thing about Rodgers is, and what I've noticed, and this really annoyed me, and those of you who saw me tweeting through it today uh, would have caught this, that one of the things that really annoys me about this is that all this attention is being paid to the fact that, yes, Taylor Rodgers in his last 21 innings has a 8.14 ERA. And, oh, that is bad. And he is getting hit around. And as Paul noted, it hasn't actually been that he's been giving up a lot of walks or that he's been giving up a lot of home runs. It's just that the BABIP... In that run, his BABIP is 429. So he's getting, you know, he's getting hit to death, uh, but it's staying in the park. And if you look a little bit deeper, though, you'll see that he has a 2.79 FIP. Now, FIP isn't as good as some of the other DRA is superior, whatever. But as a quick and dirty way of looking at this, the fact that his FIP is under three in this time period when his ERA is eight screams that he's probably quite a bit better than what the results have been lately. And you can probably bet 
that one of the first things the Brewers will do is talk to him and say, hey, here's the thing that we noticed about you, uh, whether that's uh, a certain pitch location, uh, the when he's throwing a certain pitch, something. My guess is they will come up with something and say, hey, you know, you're doing this. We noticed this. And uh, say, you know, maybe you don't want to do that anymore because it isn't working for you. Yeah, we, uh, we'll be talking about Josh's savant numbers in a bit and just to kind of do the same exercise on Taylor Rogers. I think one of the first things that they may do is just have him throw his slider a lot more versus his sinker. Um, he used to be a predominantly fastball, uh, sinking fastball pitcher. Um, his slider has been creeping up over time and um, against his slider, which is his predominant pitch. Like it's when he throws the most um, players have a, uh, sorry, a 245 WOBA against it, a 189 batting average, a 300 slugging. He, his slider is really, really good. It's basically unhittable. Um, his sinker has been far worse and it's been declining. Uh, you can see that that switch has been happening organic over t- organically over time. But this is one of those things where I think maybe you just tell a guy not to throw his fastball nearly as much. You make him a slider pitcher. You make him sort of a, a classic, um, you, you know, slider first guy. And he might turn it around really quickly. Well, and especially in the bullpen, that's easier to do. Like it is. there was a resistance when Rich Hill you know, was talking about doing that way back in like 2015 to throwing yep. his curveball a lot more. But that's in the starting rotation as a reliever. It really doesn't matter as much. So I suspect that I didn't even realize you had that information, Paul. Thank you. That's that's very cool. Rogers is a fascinating guy to look at his sort of pitch history, too, because he looks like a guy who is really open to changing his repertoire. Um, he used to throw the curveball 40 percent of the time. Um through 2018, and he hasn't thrown a single one since 2020 now. Um, he's become a fastball slider pitcher almost exclusively, um, completely retiring his curveball. The mixes change pretty often, and it looks like the effectiveness kind of follows it. So he does look like a coachable guy just on the stats, um, but I do think that that slider is kind of his meal ticket going forward, at least unless there's some mechanical tweaks that can happen. Um, that's the dominant pitch he has at the moment. Well, and even if it's just a placebo effect of saying, hey, here's a different thing you can do to, to like reset his head, uh, a placebo effect in this case might be all that is needed yeah. because his under, like we said, his underlying numbers are not bad right now. Like he is he is not pitching in such a way that you would expect him to have been getting his head handed to him the way he has. So any sort of tweak, any sort of adjustment, and maybe they can get a positive, a bit of positive momentum going and things can can go in a, a good direction for him. So yep. I think that that's, that's really big. And I do think, what did I say to you guys? I think there's like a 30 to 40% chance maybe that Taylor Rogers is actually better than Josh Hader in the second half of the season, like after this trade. Now, there's a lot more to do with this trade that we're going to get into because it's not mm-hmm. just this season. Haters for two years and Rogers is a free agent after this year. Yeah. And there's all the prospects to talk about, too, and lament. Mm-hmm. But if you just look at it like that and say, OK, if in the second half this year, if it is true that Taylor Rogers is better than Josh Hader or even just kind of, you know, about the same. Is there any way that the Brewers lose this deal? I mean, if you're talking about the the folks who are so concerned about giving up Josh Hader ahead of a playoff run, right? I think that maybe calms some of those nerves a little bit. Plus, you get the future considerations as well. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't. 
if if two of the players are equal, even if there's a year difference, uh, you get you get people uh, on top of that. I think you win the trade pretty much for sure. You yeah. know, unless Hader does something super dominant next year um, for the Padres, which is, you know, possible. That's totally possible. <laughs> uh, if, if he rallies back and they fix him, he has that kind of talent. We've seen him do it for the Brewers, so it's not a sure thing. But but yeah, you have you have a, you know even middling prospects back are still worth something, and so yeah, you probably win the trade. Then. Well, and the Brewers will also have some added financial flexibility next year because they were going to be paying Josh Hader something around fifteen million dollars. We'll see what it ends up being if this winter, but the the number for him for next year was about fifteen million dollars. They will be able to reallocate some of those resources this winter and do something different with it so they there's also that factor as well like there's there's some wiggle room here that they're buying themselves to be able to play around with yeah indeed um there is one i would i do want to mention one more taylor rogers um behind the scenes stat before we move on because i think it is an important one um if he does go to be more of a slider pitcher versus a sinker pitcher um his sinker was effective at pushing down launch angle he he Essentially, he's never had a launch angle over ten. Um, last year, it was five point nine. He created ground balls and missed, you know, and missed bats with that pitch. Uh, as he's moved more to slider, it, that is ticked up. When people make contact, they're elevating it more, which does happen. Um, it, it's at eleven point nine this year, which is not super concerning. That's an okay launch angle. If Christian Yelich had it, it would rule. But it's still for the most part. <laughs> for, for the most part, it is a it is a fine uh, launch angle. You can be successful with that. But it's worth noting. Um, he may be more of a gopher ball guy than he has been in the past for that reason. Well, it's if he is giving up home runs, it's going to be more than he gave up in the past because he rarely gave up home runs in the past. Yeah, He's been very right. good at that. Sure. But it's also probably possibly going to be at a lower rate than Josh Hader was giving up home runs as well. Almost too, certainly you know? the case. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> um, granted, uh, Josh Hader going to, to Petco Park might solve some of those issues as well. Uh, but the thing I really liked about Rogers is that lower home run rate. And he walks very, very much fewer batters than uh, Josh Hader does too as well. So uh, yeah, he might get blooped to death here or there like he has been, but like Ryan, you said, rarely is it going to be the the backbreaking home run. You know that mm-hmm. that doesn't man. Well, um, just and- to put a finer point on it, during this stretch where he has this eight fourteen ERA, uh, over twenty one innings pitched, his strikeout to walk ratio is twenty five to five. Yeah. Yep. Eleven point nine sounds bad in the context of a guy never having one over ten or even close to it before. Josh Hader's never had one under eighteen point nine. So um, <laughs> there you just, go. Just for you know, additional context is important there. Uh, fly ball pitchers and ground ball pitchers are very different animals, and uh, even becoming slightly more of a fly ball pitcher for Rogers doesn't put him in the same category as Hader, who everything is skied when Josh gets contact. I guess speaking of that. Um... I think the next aspect I'd like to talk about is the possibility that maybe the Brewers saw some warning signs from Josh Hader that kind of caused them to be more open-minded now as opposed to other times when San Diego or other teams came calling about Josh Hader, right? Um, obviously, the, the ask in return for Hader is is probably lower than quite a few people expected based on the reactions we saw today, but also just, you know... Um, given that the fact that he he has kind of struggled in the last month and not that I don't think GMs put much weight into, you know, bad month long stretches, because as we talked about, this kind of happens with hater every year. But um, Paul, I know 
you and Ryan were kind of looking at some Josh Hader underlying numbers and, and stat cast things that maybe kind of raised a little bit of a red flag and, and maybe indicate that the Brewers are just trying to get out ahead before the book is kind of out on him. Is that right? Yeah. And I would say a lot of this should be grain of salt just because relievers are small sample size by their nature. Um, and we're going to give you full season data here, but it's going to be influenced quite a bit by his Rocky last month, just because it's a big percentage of what he did. So um, he may still get straightened out. And I would not construe this as Josh Hader's wash. It very well may not be that Josh Hader is washed, but um, it is, you know, with the Brewers moving on is itself data that maybe they think that there's something more there than normal. Uh, and so just, just to kick things off, um, he actually has a, quite a bit lower launch angle than he usually does. Uh, it, it's 18.9 this year. He's almost always above 20. In fact, he's usually above 22. Uh, and that might sound like a good thing, uh, but it looks like the reason that's happening is actually because his barrel rate has skyrocketed. And it looks like um, people are basically hitting it on a more optimal line. Like a lot of those 26% launch angles are flyouts. You know, fly ball pitchers get a lot of flyouts. Josh, too. Um, when they start to straighten out too much and uh, people get more solid contact and more like a line drive and less like flyout, that's bad. Um, his barrel percentage is 17.4. That's a very high. Last year it was 6.3. Um, this is a career high right now by by a country mile. Um, second to that is 14.7 in 2020. Uh, 17.4 is not really a sustainable barrel rate to have. Now, th- that could be very lucky. It can be based on just facing a bunch of good hitters. But... Um, it's not a good sign, and there's reasons to think that it may be easier for some hitters to be barreling the ball up on him. Uh, um, one of the big indicators that that might be the case is hitters are um, swinging at the uh, first pitch way, way, way less and maybe seeing Hader a little bit better than they used to be. Um, and his first pitch strike percentage is very down. Um down 7.8% from the previous year and quite a bit lower than when he's been dominant. So um, on top of all that, the big one, the big thing I think with him, the biggest thing is he's not getting as much movement. Uh, he's lost about an inch of vertical and a, an inch of horizontal on his sinker. He throws his sinker more than any other pitch by far. Um, and if those are not moving as they used to, um, losing a little bit of the deception that Hader kind of brings to the table with the long frame and the hair and stuff, um, we've seen what happens when he when that gets out of whack, um, and you know an inch of movement that's not there as an inch of movement where that ball's not moving at the last second to avoid a bat. Um, it's it's notable, like he's very consistent on his movement numbers from year to year, and that may very well be part of the problem. Uh, part of the cause of that might be that he's actually throwing that fastball harder than normal. Uh, he's averaging ninety seven point two on his fastball. That's fast for Hater. He's usually more in the mid nineties. So something may be going on there and something to watch too. It's it's harder, but it's straighter. Uh, hard, straight fastballs often get pounded, especially when the deceptiveness starts to go away. Yeah, I basically agree down the line with this. And I, I want to be very careful not to say that I don't think Hater is like falling off a cliff here. Right. And we talked about this last week, even before the trade. And I mentioned, because I've been the, the, the big leader here of saying that Josh Hader goes through this every year. It's probably going to be fine. And I've been yeah. saying that since this all started, right? But last week I did mention that like there is a chance here that at, at some point the the Josh Hader magic was going to wear off as it does for every player, literally every player who's ever played. 
And so it's just kind of a question of when. And because of the nature of what Hader does and because of the margins he's kind of working with, we sort of speculated that it could come faster and harder for him and that he's going to really have to make some adjustments at some point to find his next trick. And we have seen no evidence of that to this point. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen, but the fact that we haven't seen him making major adjustments to like what his repertoire is, adding a new pitch, subtracting a pitch, doing something majorly different is to me sort of an indicator that that could be a rough transition when that time comes. And you kind of don't want to be holding the bag when it happens. Like that's the the thing with the, with closers is they're kind of hot potatoes. And if you have a really good one, you, you don't want to be holding on to the, the, the guy, paying him a lot of money, having given him a long-term contract, something like that, when the magic does run out. So I, I think he's probably going to be better this year and into next year, but you have to make some allowances for the fact that it, it, it might not happen and that, that this might be selling at a, at a peak for him of, and getting the most value the Brewers will be able to get before his you know time as a team controlled player runs out next year, yeah, um, his whiff percentage also down quite a bit. Um, it was forty point five percent last year on his sinker. It's thirty one point one this year. Um, just it's not missing as many bats. It's not fooling as many people. And um, Ryan's right that well, uh, he's he's such a weird player in that when he's off, he just gets hammered. Like mm-hmm. it's such a weird difference between uh, people being completely helpless against him. And basically being like a batting practice fastball. Like we've all seen Hater bad, just like give up home run after home run. It's it's frankly strange. Um, most pitchers have a an easier de- decline than that, where they you know can at least turn crafty, nibble edges, work in off speed stuff more. Um, even even fireballers at least can turn into good loogies, and he hasn't really done that. Even it's a he's he's an odd profile. Um, mm-hmm. And when he does start to go bad, he may go bad fast. And Brian's also right. The only really big change in his repertoire over his tenure as a brewer uh, is throwing his sinker for 80% to 70% and mm-hmm. throwing his slider 20% to 30%. That's pretty much it. That's a very minor change. His slider hasn't really appre- gotten appreciably better over time. It's not bad. It's good. But uh, he's pretty predictable. Um, really relies on the fastball and... I mean, maybe the Padres also think that they can fix him and maybe add in a little bit of uh, variety. Maybe he'll be fine because, you know, he can certainly be fine. And there's not like injury evidence here. He's he's throwing gas like he's throwing the ball harder than he's ever thrown it. So I think it is a a, a technique, a, a just a pitch mechanics thing to the extent that it's there. But uh, he's a risky player to have because at some point he will just go completely to pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think some of what we were kind of concerned about over the last month with him uh, <laughs> when he was still tied to the Brewers' fortunes was uh, sometimes the the inability to hit the strike zone, and even when he was in the strike zone, that's when it was getting hammered, right? So that sort of leads us to our first Patreon question on this topic. comes from Jay Google, who asked this question uh, before Josh Hader got traded, but I think it's still apt to talk about uh, as we try to kind of maybe project what the Brewers may be missing out on or or what Josh Hader's post-Brewers career could look at like. Uh, Jay's question is, are strikes overrated as a closer? Seems like Hader has more 
has been more erratic as of late. And, you know, this kind of came up even with his last couple appearances with the Brewers, where even if they were, you know, kind of quote unquote clean outings, he didn't throw a strike in in one of those outings, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> he still got yep. three up, three down. Um, so, Ryan, I guess, what have you seen on that? Where it, it, is it not a huge deal that he's constantly out of the zone and the guys are chasing? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, he does do a pretty decent job of getting swings outside of the zone. I've got some numbers here to, to go through. But I think it first is really important to note that, uh, and I think Paul mentioned this, he is at 44.9% of pitches in the zone this year. So 44.9% of his pitches are in the strike zone. And compared to the league average, uh, that is a little bit higher, 41.3% in the strike zone in general in the league. Uh, so it's a little bit better, but it's way below. Classic hater was 53.9, 55.0, 51.9. And then in 2020, and since he's been down in the 40s, but it had been higher 40s, 46.4, 49.5, and now it's you know 44.9. So he's in the zone less than he ever has been before, but guys are also making more contact on him than they ever have before. This year, uh, 64.4%, yeah. and uh, that's higher than it ever has been, though in 2020 it was pretty comparable, but... Uh, you know, for the most part, like guys are making more contact on him than they have in the past. And that includes uh, contact in the zone is up. But what's really up is contact outside the zone, which, given how Hader pitches, is really kind of concerning. I mean, he is at almost 50% of pitches outside the zone guys are making contact with. And if you if you look back throughout his history, I guess early on you could see some of that in like 2019 or, or 2017. But in recent years, last year it was only 37. Um, percent It when you have a guy like Hader who wants to be uh, pitching outside of the zone, especially up, and wants to get generate those swings and misses outside of the strike zone, the fact that guys are one, um, they're they're not. Uh, they're not they're making more contact on those pitches um, and they're overall swinging less. If you look at his overall swing percentage, he was at 51 percent last year, um, but now it's it's down to 46.6, which is a career almost career low. 2020, he was actually a little bit lower, too, but um, the shortened season. So all of these things, you kind of look at it and you go getting back directly to Jay's question. um, like hater is a guy who doesn't need to be in the zone to get guys to swing, but that is also walking a pretty fine line because we've seen it over and over and over with how many relievers going back to Derek Turnbow, going back to John Axford, going back to Jim Henderson. We've seen it over and over and over where those guys, once guys sort of learn that they don't have to swing and that the guy is going to, you know, start putting people on base. Um, it can be pretty difficult to like undo uh, like put that genie back in a bottle. Basically it can be very difficult for, for teams to do that. And haters probably closer to that at this point than he has been before. I would say. Yeah. Given that he has to work up in the zone to be effective, uh, really when he gets down problems happen, uh, the more people start laying off 
those pitches and are able to lay off them, the worse it is for him. And the sort of more wild he is up there, the easier that gets for everybody. And that has been the case a lot this year. Um, he has been if it, maybe a little even over-reliant on trying to locate high strikes and uh, not as good at it. And so th- I think that's one thing that I would try and fix immediately upon acquiring Josh Hader. Yeah. Also worth noting that uh, he's now going to a division with a couple of teams who have recently touched him up pretty well, the, the Rockies and the Giants. And I think, you know, historically the Dodgers kind of have a mixed track record against him as well. So, you know, we also kind of talked about the Giants possibly maybe cracking the code on him a little bit and in in that first big blow up where they hit all those home runs off of him as well. So um, it's possible the scouting's already out there in the NL West. So we'll kind of have to see how that works out as well all right i want to jump down to the next patreon question from pj wessels who's now kind of asking what's what's next and he admits so all future sports betting questions turn here first does haters trade send ethan small into the bullpen for this season and is this going to be 2018 bullpen management or is williams now the closer which do you prefer so i guess ryan let's just start with Ethan Small, uh, done starting for now into the bullpen, or how do you see him being used down the stretch? I think that is to be determined, and that is going to be determined in large part by what they do before the deadline on Tuesday, whether or not they add a starter or how quick it is that Freddie is able to be a starter. I think this has much less to do with who Ethan Small is than it has to do with uh, what other moves the Brewers make. Sure. Yeah. Um, And then second half of the question, I think, you know, we obviously spent a lot of time talking about whether Taylor Rogers can be Josh Hader like, but that doesn't necessarily mean he takes the ninth inning. I guess, Paul, do you see or do you prefer kind of like a a matchup based approach here? Do you want to see Devin stay in the eighth inning where he oftentimes gets the the meat of the order? I guess. How do you want to see Craig Council play this going forward? So as long as there's not some weird arbitration powered desire for saves where somebody makes a stink about it um or <laughs> arm weakness or whatever i would i would always like to see relievers played to matchups uh be them platoon splits or just leverage based based on talent level that's what i like i think that's the optimal way to manage a bullpen uh if if you know saves don't matter now i i think you'll probably get a you probably get devin williams as sort of the close de facto closer It'll probably do most of the. Maybe it'll be Rogers, but I, I'm guessing Williams will get the shot. Just, just my my guess. Um, and, and, but I think that the council will have more flexibility to use everybody in more of a fireman role, especially when everything gets on the line later in the year. Um, that's how I prefer it, and I think that's what they'll do. I think that this will be the return to Craig Tembers of old um, with Hater out of there, and I think that is the way that it should be. Uh, it's honestly that's the way that you compensate for not having hater there is allow Craig to work matchups. Um, you, you gave him some, at least one arm that he could do that with. And uh, they can, I still think be fine if they do it. I think we'll by and large see Williams in the ninth. I think yeah. overwhelmingly, uh, but I wouldn't put it past them to use Rogers there in certain situations. Say when you have, you know, three guys do, and two of them are power hitting lefties. Okay, you know, see if you maybe switch it around a little bit and and play with that a little bit. Yep. 
but I I think mostly you're going to see Williams in the ninth, and I think you're, before that is where you're going to see the hodgepodge and the mixed approach and guys pitching in a bunch of different spaces and and times. So yep. I I think that that probably and and as Paul mentioned earlier, limiting a guy's appearances. It, it, the closer rules help in limiting a guy's appearances and not overusing them and being tempted to run them out there too much. And I think you want to be careful with Williams because he is so damn good. You don't yep. want to mess that up. So mm-hmm. some caution there is called for, and it's fine if you use him that way. He doesn't need to be out there in the the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Like you don't want to get into September and have him hit a wall. Right. Right. <laughs> Boo. Oh boy. That took me way too long. I'm ashamed of that. Um, I guess one one more thing to keep in mind, too, on this question is because of the air bender, the changeup, Devin Williams doesn't even really have the traditional splits, right? So even that scenario you were talking about, Ryan, where it's two out of three lefties, it, it's not prohibitive to using Williams. You, you know, it, it may be even preferable uh, depending on on who's coming up, right? So mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of leeway there. Um but I do think, you know, Rogers also being left-handed kind of mitigates any concern you might have about a shortage of of shutdown lefties in the bullpen too, yeah. right? So he's um, also um, he does not have normal platoon splits either. He's pretty even down the middle, um, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. Uh, he's good against everybody. He's not um, mediocre against everybody for his career, at least. But yeah, he, he's okay all the way. Uh, good to know as well. Um, all right. So that's, that's the on-field stuff. I, I now I want to kind of dive into the, the squishy stuff as some of you guys could <laughs> refer to it, right? Like, um, because there's a lot of, um, uh, exterior things going on here too, right? Like this is a very unusual trade. I think we can all recognize that even though, you know, you, you may get the impression listening to this, that we're maybe a little bit more positive on it than a lot of people. And it's not, you know, a sign that we're carrying water for the team or, or whatever you want to say. It's just, you know, we're, we're finding the way forward, I think, in, in trying to figure out how, how this makes sense going forward. But, I mean, I would be lying if I said I wasn't worried about maybe some of the clubhouse stuff here, right? Like, you are trading in the clubhouse regarded as one of the top players on your team. He, he's not the best player on the team, but he's, he's one of the top key guys, one of the guys that, you know, they're rest of the players on the roster have kind of come to know and trust in those roles. So I guess, is there any concern, Paul, understanding how you feel about Craig Council and his people management skills, <laughs> any concern at all that this could maybe ha- mess up team chemistry, whatever we may quantify that as? It's possible, yes. Uh, but the problem with team chemistry, more than anything, is something you really can't tell from the outside. For for all we know, Josh Hader is one of the most beloved people in the clubhouse and they'll fall apart. Or for all we know, he's absolutely despised and everybody will play 10 times better. For all we know, he's responsible for them not hitting well. Um, but pro- <laughs> probably not. Um, so the, the, the one thing you can really count on from major league players is most of them view this as a business and a profession. And they are professionals. Yes, people have friends on the team. And yes, people are well-liked on the team. But everybody understands that this happens around trade deadline time. And it's probably surprising to be on a contender and trade your closer away. But if you pay attention to the Brewers at all, it's probably not that surprising. Um, So, yeah, it's always a risk. It is absolutely always a risk. Sometimes, like, if you trade away the biggest glue guy on the team, that can be a real problem. But uh, 
it's hard to analyze from the outside. It's basically impossible. And I suspect the Brewers have a really good reputation for managing their clubhouse. I, I'm guessing that they have a good idea of what those impacts will be before the you know trades actually occur. And so this will probably be fine. If there's going to be a problem with this trade, it will be, I, w- I would say, entirely an on-the-field problem of you traded away your lights-out closer. You still have Devin Williams, but um, you don't have a guy you used to have, and the Padres do, and that's where problems will pop up if they pop up. Yeah, and it's not like you're trading for a guy who doesn't have like a resume. Taylor Rogers has a resume. The man is second in the NL in saves right now. Actually, I think he's second in baseball in saves right now. Yes. Like, uh, per Elias, actually, this is the first time in baseball history the top two in saves have been <laughs> traded for each other. So that's a little fun fact. And guys, to, to guys in the clubhouse, that kind of thing matters. And also things like Taylor Rogers was an all-star last year. Everybody in the clubhouse is going to know that with him coming in. They're going to know that this guy has accomplishments and has done some good things in the past. And so I don't think that like they're going to look at it like, oh, my God, this is a sell trade. They're going to look at it like, yeah, it sucks to lose Josh. And we, you know, he, he was good. But Rogers is probably pretty good, too. And so I think that that is going to be less of an impact. And part of having a good people manager and Craig Council is to smooth over rough patches that are part of the game and and sometimes it's it's problems you like maybe want to create yourself like part of the idea of having a Craig Council is to make the the medicine go down better right like so there are times when sometimes you have to do a difficult thing like Stearns was saying you have to make a tough call you have to make a tough choice and council is there to help the players get through that and to 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 make that as productive a move as possible right to make that to make that go down well and so it's kind of almost like wasting Craig council if you're always if, if you're never willing to bring in or to potentially like do something difficult to challenge him to to have to to smooth over the rough edges of something it's kind of wasting the, those talents so Yes, this has the potential to blow up in their face, especially from a PR aspect. If all of a sudden Devin Williams and Taylor Rogers or the Brewers bullpen in general start blowing a bunch of ninth inning leads, people are going to howl. That's just how this is going to go. But like Paul said, that's an on the field consideration more so than the, the soft, squishy side of things. Yep. And by the way, I don't blame any fan who has a problem with this for the same reason, because Hader is a legit star on the team. And um, it's pretty nuanced to have a positive take on this without knowing who you're getting back, without knowing minor leaguers. Um, you're in a pennant race and you traded away your lights out closer. Um, I, I don't think uh, I would I would I would not get into any Twitter arguments with people who don't like it. Um, that, that's you know a lot of people have a lot of <laughs> you are yeah, not you know, rooms this week. Some of, yeah. some of yeah. us would, um, but. <laughs> But uh, a lot of people have his jersey. Uh, you know, he, he's he's an excellent player. And you root as a fan for guys who are great at their jobs, which he is. So that's all fine. And, and I don't necessarily think this is a win for them either. We'll have to see how this goes. But I do kind of get it. Absolutely. It's a, definitely a tricky situation to navigate. I think that's why 
as we mentioned off the top, they, they kind of got out ahead of <laughs> the reaction as much as they could with a quickly prepared statement, uh, like three paragraphs explaining their line of thinking and, and whether or not that did anything eh, remains to be seen. The, the initial takes were skeptical, but I also I'll say this too. This is not the first time this year that this clubhouse has had to kind of deal with the departure of a player who was like integral to the team over the last few years, right? They DFA'd Lorenzo Kane early in the year. And yeah, that move was probably more defensible by production standards, but yeah. I mean, they're still doing tributes to Lorenzo Kane every time they hit a double, right? Like the guy mm-hmm. was clearly beloved in that clubhouse and they seem to have been doing fine with that. So I guess that does kind of give me some reassurances that council and others can uh, kind of make this work. Yeah. All right. The next aspect I want to talk about is the prospect return, because I think that was another piece <laughs> of the trade, right? Like we, we've talked about possible Josh Hader trade packages, like you guys mentioned, for at least two or three years now. Expectations were set pretty high, right? And to get a couple of guys who... I don't I don't remember offhand if they were in the Padres top 10 or not. I don't think so. They're they're going to land inside the Brewers top 10 according to MLB pipeline, but um a, a lot of concern over just prospect rankings and and stuff like that. But Ryan, I guess, you know, you're the prospect expert here and there's a lot more where you need to kind of uh look past those prospect rankings and maybe look at the type of player these guys are, right? Yeah, so first thing was the fact that MLB Pipeline had not updated their top 30s yet. They haven't updated their top 30s for teams meant that you were looking at uh, Esturi Ruiz as the 28th ranked Padre prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. And that was the thing that got out there first. And that was the thing that most people saw. And as soon as they saw that, I think when people saw they got their 28th ranked prospect and I believe Gosser was in the top 10, but he was towards the back of the top 10, um, even like going into the season. So he was like seven or eight, somewhere in there. Um, so anyway, it, Ruiz's ranking did nobody any favors and I think immediately curdled opinions about this. And I think also even before that, and I'm totally guilty of this because I did this on Twitter. When I heard that it was the Padres, I said, oh, they have some great prospects. And immediately got my hopes up, and I shouldn't have, thinking that, you know, you're the very top guys would be coming because that doesn't really happen. So, no, um, those are going to Washington on Tuesday. So, <laughs> so I think that it's important to, to note that Ruiz has completely transformed himself as a player this year. Uh, he was a guy who swung at everything and made a lot of poor contact with baseballs coming into this year. And what they did is they worked on his pitch selection and he basically reformed himself as a player and is having a massive year this year at double A and triple A 333, 467, 560, and is a legit 80 runner and is going to play 60 steals already and is 60 steals mm -hmm, and is going to play center field. Now, this is a pretty useful player and I, I need to point out James Anderson, my co-host over on the minor league extra, he has him ranked 45th in his latest dynasty update. Now, part of that, a big part of that, you have to steals. take it with the, it's because of the steals and because they're so important to Roto. But 
James is also not the kind of person who would rank him that high if there weren't a lot of other skills to go along with it that are going to be good. He, he, he's not a big fan of like guys who steal only and that's like their one skill. He doesn't rank those guys high like in general. So he thinks that there's more here than just like those crazy steal numbers. So I think we need to to recognize that first Ruiz has completely reshaped himself. So that ranking that went out from pipeline about 28, it's old information. He is a different guy than when that ranking was given to the to the point um, pipeline does have him ranked actually right with Gosser in the back of the Brewers top 10 right now. So there's that. The other thing to know about Gosser specifically is he is a pitch characteristics guy. This is a guy who. Uh, has done some really, really good things. Um, 115 strikeouts in 90.1 innings uh, at high A. And the Brewers getting a pitch characteristics guy from San Diego uh, should have people with memories kind of intrigued because this is what they did with with Eric Lauer. Like, mm-hmm. And Gosser's also a left-hander. Um I I made the point a bunch on Twitter today that I think that the Padres are really bad at getting the most out of their players, especially on the pitching side. And you can quibble about that. It spawned some interesting discussion. But basically, I think that the Padres, as an organization, tend to be less than the sum of their parts. And the Brewers tend to be more than the sum of their parts. And we have a history now with the Padres to say, well, last time they traded us you know, some guys that were maybe had that they were down on in their system. Uh, the Brewers picked that right up and were ready to, to take the ball and run with it. So I think that from that perspective, and that's not even getting into Danielson Lamette, who, what was it you called him, James? <laughs> I mean, I've liked him for a long time, but I believe the phrase I used to describe his UCL is made of silly string and bubblegum at this point. It will just disintegrate at some point soon again. Mm-hmm. And I think that'd be, what, his second or third Tommy John, and he's probably done. But he has electric stuff, and I think he could easily become another back-end bullpen guy if they just kind of let him cut loose on that. Mm-hmm. And maybe use him in a more uh, Josh Hader 2017-2018 way where right. you're letting him throw for, you know, maybe 40, 50 pitches and then making sure that he doesn't pitch for the next three days and then, you know, go yeah. forward at that point. I think that could be a, a role for him. Um, also, I pointed out on Twitter, you know, he was fourth in Cy Young voting in the shortened season in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a See, wacky, he's good in 50 season. inning spurts. So, so there you go. Yeah. His slider has a 50% whiff percentage this year. Mother of um, All of his other pitches are bad, uh, but and that's not even unprecedented. In 2021, it was 42.5% on a much larger sample size. That thing is basically unhittable. Um, it's just the slider is also like the worst thing for your elbow. So um, double-edged sword here. <laughs> See what they can get out of it. So anyway, I think that to wrap it up, the prospect package that they got for Hader beyond what they got for, you know, we've we're setting aside the the Taylor Rogers thing for the time being. The three guys that they got are all incredibly interesting in their own way and offer some really intriguing upside. I think some really high upside if it all works out. So 
uh, no, it's not Robert Hassel. They, they, you know, they didn't get him. Sorry. But I think that uh, if you make a bunch of trades uh, like this, or if you make trades like this, in general, you're going to end up coming out ahead. And I, I put it this way on Twitter early on um, because it, it struck me that just like it wasn't the narrative on this was weird and that if you take a 10,000 foot view of it, that the, the Brewers are trading a basically one and one third years of a one inning relief pitcher for four players. And all four of those players are very interesting in their own right. And I think if you kind of take that large view of it, it's hard to see how this is potentially a disaster because the disaster of this has to be that, well, Josh Hader is special. And Josh Hader has been special at times in his career. Um, and maybe he will continue or refine that that being special over the next two months or you know going into next year. Maybe he will refine that. But there's no guarantees. And if there's one thing that is transient in baseball, it's the specialness of closers. Like they 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 have it and then they lose it really fast. And we've just watched that. If you if you follow baseball for a long time, you've seen it so many guys come and go so quickly. Um that I think the the skepticism should just sort of naturally be there that like if you're relying on a on a reliever to be special. Um, the shelf life on that probably isn't very long unless it's Mariano Rivera. Right. And even he had some bumps in the road along the way where it looks mm-hmm. like he, he was kind of toast. Actually, so I think if Hader was a more normal pitcher and had this sustained run of success, I might disagree with you. It's just that he's, he's so bipolar in terms of when things go south on him. Um, you know, when he, when he blows up, he's going to blow up and that's the big problem with him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, to go back to Ryan, what you were saying, that calling the return on this interesting, I think that's kind of the prevailing opinion that I saw, at least from the non-brewers folks, you know, like like the, you know, the people who look at it from a 10,000 foot view or, or, you know, the national writers and bloggers and stuff. Their, the reaction wasn't like, oh, this is a bad deal. It's like, oh, it's interesting, which, of course, is not like, oh, wow, the brewers made out like bandits for Josh Hader. <laughs> like a lot of people were expecting, but then I'm reminded of last week's episode title, right? Expectations are premeditated <laughs> resentments. Indeed. Where I feel like a lot of people were just kind of getting, like setting themselves up to be disappointed about this. And then maybe the reaction is 10,000 times what it probably should be just because we were expecting to be let down by this. Right. Um, so I, Obviously, just like everything else, time will tell with this trade, but it's it's pretty clear, too, the Brewers are fairly confident in their scouting of the Padres and the Padres system, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's no coincidence they keep going back to them. So I, I think that kind of gives me a little bit more optimism going forward, too. Um, also, just a side note, I, I, I do think this is kind of an interesting... Um, case of looking at the Padres and the Brewers side by side, right? Because I saw a lot of this online today, too, kind of comparing the way the Padres have done things, big, splashy moves, uh, doing everything they can to try to win, as opposed to the Brewers' incremental build up as much average fringe players as you can and 
you know, the result is Brewers going to the playoffs likely five times in a row. Padres have only made it twice, but they have a pennant to show for it. So I, I, I do think it, it's kind of an interesting debate. No, no, no. The Padres won the pennant in 1998. No, I, I, I got I got tripped up. Blake it's Snell World time. Series with the Rays. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's where I got tripped up. Okay. So no pennant to show for it either. So obviously, the, so backtracking then, the, the Padres making all those splashy moves, they've only made the playoffs twice in the last five years. The Brewers are probably going to make it five years in a row. Don't feel Which bad. do you prefer? For the, you whole know? 80, for the whole 80s, I thought the Padres and Giants were the same team. So, so <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, and I think that we could also note that like the Padres win every offseason and then they win the trade deadlines. Like they've been doing this now since like 2018. Exactly. And yep. they made the playoffs in that time period once, and that was in the expanded postseason of 2020. Yeah. That was it. Until they probably will make it this year. They they seem well positioned. But like I, I said before, the Padres seem to just consistently be less than the sum of their parts. And the Brewers more. And that's because of the way that these teams are built, and I think the approach that uh, that is, the Padres uh, have offered some exciting moments in November, December, and July. Um, <laughs> right. The Brewers have been just more consistently good from April to, to September. They've, it, I think it's pretty inarguable that they've just been the better team in that time period on the field. Like in regular seasons, they've been better. So it is a, an interesting contrast. All right, moving on to more Patreon questions before I screw something else up. Uh, Brian Polakowski is asking, uh, you know, Cousins and Topa are on rehab assignments. Freddie's with the team in Pittsburgh, and Stern says his next uh, appearance would be with Milwaukee, whether that's a start or a bullpen appearance. Uh, so that's leading to this question, over under 50% chance that Stearns doesn't trade for a pitcher. Uh, this is a question that could be out of date real quick, but as we record this on Monday <laughs> night, Paul, uh, do you do you see the Brewers swinging a trade for at least another reliever or maybe a starter? It's it's dumb to say no, but I don't think they will. Um, I think they'll rely on uh, the guys they just got, and I, I'll actually I'll take the, uh, the the no answer on here for my over under, but it's just a guess. I mean, they almost always trade for a pitcher, so. Um, but that, that's what I'm just not feeling it. And they just did kind of do it in the hater trade a little bit. So they don't, they don't really have to. They get Freddie back. Um, I think that they'll concentrate on a bat because they could use a bat. Yeah, I think they will. But again, I, I'm not expecting anything meaningful here because the meaningful ads to the pitching side are going to come internally. I think they probably will find somebody that they like to try to rehab value on and and do you know what they've been doing so well but i wouldn't expect anything splashy on that side if they do make a splash and i'm expecting you know something that makes like not a uh a huge cannonball splash but like a at least a uh some sort of a rock being thrown into the water like there will be <laughs> a little there will, bloop a little bloop yeah it, it's not just like <laughs> a little yeah it will be just a little I'll skip off the 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 surface of the water um it's going to be something that's going to get people's attention, but I think obviously today's trade figures to be the most significant thing that they do at this deadline. It's going to be very hard for them to top that tomorrow in terms of overall impact on the team. Sure. 
All right, moving along, because we've got a, quite a few other questions to get to, and we've already been talking for almost an hour on Josh mm -hmm. Hader alone. So uh, moving right along, we've got Mark Podscarby asking, it's deadline week, make your predictions for which major leaguers the Brewers will acquire. Again, this was sent before the Josh Hader trade. So, hey, they already got some major leaguers back, but I know we were seeing the rumors on Monday afternoon of maybe Omar Narvaez possibly being on the move. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Vic Carantini playing well. Colton Wong also apparently made available, but that was Bob Nightingale. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> Paul, I guess who else uh, could the Brewers trade and, and who are you hoping that they could acquire? What's your prediction? I do think that Keston is probably going to get dealt. Um, there've been too many rumors about it and he, just could use the change of scenery so much that I, I feel like he's probably gone. I, I think um, maybe Omar would be my second um, on, on the next one, just because um, he is, he has a, like that kind of middling value. He could really help a team out that is in need of a catcher um, and bring back at least interesting things. So I think that might happen. Hard to see Colton getting trading, but you know, never know. Um, and I actually think they'll bring back a good bat. So um, I, I would actually wager that we get a bit of a splash because I actually do think we underrate this about the Brewers front office that they will go out there and get pretty good bats back or at least position players with some regularity. Not as at the deadline, but um, it, they, they don't just skip out on that side of the ball as much as the like, pitching is reclamation projects a lot of the time. Guys think they can fix. I feel like they actually go get hitting once in a while. So I think they'll get somebody decent that, that you've heard of. If I could just do that as a prediction, I think they'll get somebody whose name you'll know. Um, somebody my, you've heard of. I my, like my long shot money is actually on uh, Josh Bell, who I think um, may be acquirable in the wake of the other big nationals trade for less than <laughs> you may otherwise pay, who is a free agent at the end of the year, who is a 29 or 30-year-old power-hitting first baseman. Um not going to command uh, and who's awesome, um, but not going to command uh, uh, as much as, you know, the other national that's going to get traded. I think there's some opportunity there to sneak in and I think that they might do it. Yeah. I think they're among the teams looking to do that. And it actually, I think a lot of people thought that bell was headed to Houston instead of potentially Houston or Milwaukee and Houston went out and grabbed, uh, well, the Vasquez and they also grabbed somebody else. Yep. Who did they grab? in the trade they somebody else of note. And I was thinking, well, that makes it less likely they need uh, Josh Bell. So maybe that improves yep. their chances. And maybe this is one of those things that like uh, Rizzo kind of puts on a assistant GM to spend more time on <laughs> while he's dealing with the big kahuna in the room. And so hopefully they're able to, to sneak that through. I also very much like the Josh Bell thing. I think it's less likely than some of the other things, but I could see Josh Bell going and I could see Keston Hero being part of that deal. I think yeah. you could see Keston Hero being part of a lot of different types of deals tomorrow. I think there's probably, if I had to put a, an odds on it, I think there's well better than a 50-50 chance he moves tomorrow. I think it's... Yeah, it's same here. If I had and to, to be clear, not, not as the centerpiece, um, but as a sweetener on the deal. And, you know... Uh, team baseball teams are generally speaking quite smart. Um, and Keston has his well-known problems of not making contact, but his numbers his his numbers that everybody can stare at are pretty good. So um, he is maybe a little bit more attractive than he normally would be for that reason. Well, and it also just depends on the team that he's going to and what the return is. Keston here could be the primary piece for 
a less significant player. Yes, the, the more significant the player, obviously, the harder it is for Keston to be the main return. But I do think there's a good chance that he moves. Yeah, and he definitely would get plenty of chances to kind of rectify things if he was playing for like Washington as yep. opposed to the Yankees, right? So um, that kind of leads us to our next Patreon question as we go kind of rapid fire here. Corey Diedrich asking, do you think the Brewers keep all three catchers on the active roster all season or do they try and trade one? And do you think Hira is still in the organization past the deadline? So Paul, you're, you're a no on Hira being here past Tuesday. Yeah, I'm a no on Hira. I actually, I will wager slightly against um uh, Omar getting traded. The main thing with the catchers is the Brewers expect to make the playoffs. I mean, it's not a sure thing, but it's certainly much more likely than not that they do. And one of their catchers can't play in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. so they Correct. need two catchers to play in the playoffs. So, I mean, that that's the reason. If they, uh, it, I'm sure that they would move Omar for the right price and just battle through with Caratini and then playoffs and then random backup. We prefer not to do that, but if you get Alex bored, Jackson, welcome to the playoff roster. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm sure that their preference would be to go with their current catching people all year and, and have them for the playoffs when it rolls around. Yeah. I mean, going by what he actually asked here, do you think they kept keep all three catchers on the active roster all season? No, I think that I, ends tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And do I think Keston is still on the uh, organization after the deadline? No, I think he's not. So I'm going to go double no's here. No okay. and no. You think you think Omar gets dealt tomorrow? I don't know that it's uh, no or that it's Omar that gets dealt. I just think that they're going to not have three catchers on the not roster after ca- okay, tomorrow. Fair enough. You yeah. to lock yourself into one option. I mean, that makes sense. Could easily DFA Severino. You too, could. You to could DFA Severino. Mm-hmm. Good point. Okay. He's, he's all right. Not, he's not that great and has burned bridges. So good point. Sure. All right. Next Patreon question. Dave Penshorn asking, are the Gallo Brewers rim- Brewers whispers just David Stearns doing due diligence? Because I just don't see a fit on the team. Um, I, for one, kind of love this idea. I know there will be a section of the fan base that will let the world burn if their only moves are trading Josh Hader and acquiring Joey Gallo, because that would be the most Brewers trade deadline I can remember in a long time. But I do think, uh, you know, there's a chance that this is probably a, as bad as Joey Gallo is going to be. Uh, his underlying numbers also not great. <laughs> I mean, but if you want to buy into the super buy low, hope it's a lottery ticket and you catch lightning in a bottle, uh, maybe, Paul, but you're you're kind of shaking your head. I, I think Joey might be kind of done. Um, he, he, you know, he's always had... Uh, Joey Gallo has always pushed the limits on what an acceptable batting average can be. <laughs> I guess it's the nicest and way to put it. And still post an above average. Yeah, OPS and plus. you know, his obviously he brings mammoth power. I mean, if Joey Gallo hits the ball, it goes very far. And he's always not always, but he is more often than not been good at taking his walks and getting on base. So he can be a useful player, but he his last two seasons have not been great at the walking. And um, any one skill, patience or power leaving Joey Gallo makes him very bad very quickly. Like real, real bad, not just a little bit bad. Um, the the patience might not be there anymore. I think he might be too easy to retire and uh, this might not work anymore. I, I don't like that. He's not that old. He's only 28. He should still be okay. He has 80 power. But uh, yuck, I hate it. He's such a brewer player. Like 
guy guy with bad batting average who like walks enough that like it's good compared to his batting average, but it's not actually good. And then hits not, like <laughs> then slugs between four hundred and four ninety nine. That I, I don't need another one of that. I have that already. We have that at home. <laughs> yes, he's he's a Hunter Renfro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in twenty twenty one, the dude hit one ninety nine. But put up a 351 on base percentage, which is yes. well above the league average, and a 458 slugging. So his ISO is oh good lord, it was he had 259 ISO. So really, really, really good isolated power. Yeah, He's he in, led the league in walks in 2021. He had 111 walks, which yep, is yep. ridiculous. He also and, led yep. the league in strikeouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, yeah. From the perspective of I just want to watch the world burn, I think it would be fun because it's a fun trade. No, no, no. This is not. I disagree wholeheartedly. This is a fun (laughs) trade with a lot of people getting on base and a lot of other skills. Uh, On this team, it is very much not fun. It it is. Oh, come on. Stick them in left field Uh, and play Yelich in center. Yeah. (laughs) Can he play second base? You know, I I wouldn't. <laughs> but I mean, the Brewers have done weirder shit than that. So like it, like anything is possible. I think that Joey Gallo is probably going to have a much better. He's going to get out of New York, take a deep breath, hit right. a couple dingers, and instantly start feeling better and stop feeling un- like he's under so much pressure. And I think AJ the- Burnett all over again. All right, I think things are going to go well for him once he gets out of there, just because. You can't be much worse than he's been at right. this point in the season. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I would be fine with it. It would be, it would be fine, but it would also make a lot of people's heads explode. Which I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, like I, I would kind of enjoy that. So, like, what, what if they uh, trade Omar Narvaez for Joey Gallo? Oh, just Can you like imagine straight up? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, the Yankees did just get their catcher, didn't they? Oh. Uh, yeah, I, the Yan- I think the Yankees yeah. did just get the yeah catch. they did sure. in the yeah. in the Frankie Montas trade. So there you go. Yeah, I mean that's so, a bummer. Like it, but yes, I'm definitely the guy who would be pounding on the window, the guy with the <laughs> sickos shirt, saying yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> about this trade because Joey Gallo has sort of been a white whale for Brewers Twitter for a long yes. time. He really has going back to even when he was drafted and uh, Hyatt making all of his uh, Jerry Callow jokes and all that. Like it, <laughs> this has been a, a, a running thing in Brewers Twitter for a very long time. And I would just, it, it kind of seems like at some point Joey Gallo it was destined to be a Milwaukee Brewer, right? Like that was a Absolutely. thing that was always in the cards. The, the stars were going to at some point align and that was going to happen. So why not have it be now? I just can't wait for an inning where the three batters coming up are like Renfro, Gallo, and <laughs> I don't know, somebody Tyrone Taylor. And it could it could be three strikeouts or three home runs. You don't know. You know, that's entertaining. So mm-hmm. it is. Paul very much disagrees. Well, does Renfro have the highest batting average on the team right now? Is that not a thing? He might. I mean, he's had crazy power. That's another thing we sh- we shouldn't let go as we talk about post all star break outside oh. of Aaron Judge, Hunter Renfro is the best hitter. In oh, baseball it's been right it's been nip and tuck all season, but Hunter just got passed by Yelich and McCutcheon. Yeah, bridge, so he's third yeah. now. Yeah, I mean Mike Perso is two ninety five, but he doesn't have nearly the plate appearances to uh, qualify. So he's, but I mean he's doesn't yeah, count. Yeah, so he doesn't count. But 
yeah, Yelich has just barely passed him. We should also note Christian Yelich has continued to be awesome since being in uh, hitting the leadoff spot. He's now up to uh, still maintaining a 406 uh, on base percentage since uh, moving to the leadoff spot. So if that continues for the rest of the season, long term, I've said this before, long term, that's a problem. Short term for this year. 400 on base percentage at the top of the lineup from Christian Yelich. I'm not asking for anything more than that. I really couldn't care less if he does anything else other than that. Cause that's what this team yeah. needs is guys on base in front of all of that power. Yeah. And as base yep. running too, an asset at the top of the lineup mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Weird up, weird update to the Yelich launch angle watch is <laughs> he's actually at a season low 4.2. Oh my God. Uh, however, <laughs> I think that they maybe just said, screw it. Um, just, hit it hard and stop trying to mess yeah. with your swing and that maybe is a good idea yeah he stung some in boston for sure yeah he did all right uh just moving on other patreon questions ryan johansson asking i'm not writing off the cardinals but if the brewers do win the division do you think they have any chance of catching the mets for a first round bye assuming it is a close race for the bye in september do you think it would or should be something the brewers go all out for i mean I think obviously the I there's an advantage to getting that by, but I think part of the reason why I'm maybe less upset about the Josh Hader trade and what it means for 2022 is like the Brewers at best are kind of locked into that third seed. They're not catching the Mets. They're not catching the Dodgers, probably not even catching the Braves. If the Braves catch the Mets, right? So, I mean, they are kind of where they are, but I guess, Paul, what do you think? I think so. Probably not, but maybe... Uh, only because they can really Craig Timber this puppy now. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, they might not care enough to, but they definitely could um, abuse their pitching staff into an absurd September where they you know win like twenty two games or something crazy like that. That's not out of the question. They don't have a hard schedule um, in September at all. There's some Arizonas and Colorados, Cincinnati's. Um, they get the Mets a couple times then, so they can actually do that thing if they happen to fucking do a sweep um so like i'd say they're like a 10 15 chance but not really no the mets have a, a huge lead and would have to um encounter some pretty pretty troubled times to give this back yeah i don't see it being very likely but i actually was pulling up the number here to after you mentioned the the actual number because uh that is something that on fan graphs they have been doing all year and they have clinching a buy. The Brewers have a 8.9% chance. So right about 10%. Okay. So 10. there you go. I'm right with you on that, Paul. That makes perfect sense. It's possible. It's not really likely. And also, I don't know how desirable it really is, except for the idea of obviously one less series that you could potentially lose is yeah so it's is good it's good it's, it's really good it's, re- it's really really good from that perspective it's good from <laughs> a going deep perspective uh is it better to not have that break because no it's not it's better to have the break well there's no. there's actually been some stuff looked at and written about this we we could save this for another day but okay. there's been some stuff looked at lately about teams that have had long layoffs at some point either in the playoffs or going into the playoffs and it generally does have an effect on the offense. Um, it, it cools down the offense, and uh, teams can take some some extra time to get back up to speed. So we'll we'll save that for another day, though. That's fine. I just checked the yeah. Mets September schedule. We're not catching the Mets. The Mets are 
they're, no. they're not happening. It's uh, you need it's, re- it's, re- it's really bad. <laughs> the Mets are going to uh, pull off their own Craig Timber in in September and not be catchable. Yeah, I didn't realize the Dodgers had been so good. The Mets play the Pirates way more than we do, so that's that's not good. <laughs> and and Jake Degrom is joining the rotation again, so you know there's their own deadline deal. I know that's a, a cliche of of announcers and such this time of year, but uh, <laughs> that's a big one. Um, I I have some breaking news on this podcast, by the All way. All right. Oh boy. Per Ken Rosenthal and Robert Murray, the Brewers are acquiring. Former number one overall pick Matt oh Bush from the Texas Rangers. Whoa, for Mark Mathias. Really? So for, wait for Mark Mathias. For Mark Mathias. Yes. Huh. Yes. Interesting. So Matt Bush, obviously a very interesting story. He is thirty six years old now. Yeah, he is. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he was a a number one overall pick from the Padres. Career kind of crashed and burned. Uh, as a position player, at least he obviously had some, you know, personal issues and things to work through, but he's kind of had a rebound late career resurgence after switching to a pitcher. He's appeared for the Rangers in a handful of seasons. Now 295 ERA and 40 games for the Rangers so far this year. That's only 36.2 innings, uh, but an ERA plus of 135. His FIP is 342. So a little bit lucky there but uh looks like the brewers have another relief arm at the very least for a very minimal cost so i guess immediate thoughts with no analysis (laughs) on matt bush ryan yeah it's very intriguing um as you mentioned the personal stuff he actually i believe was convicted of vehicular manslaughter correct oh really there there was a drunk driving and then and then went to rehab and has been sober for quite a while and that's why he got the the second chance in baseball and has gone through a whole like transformation that way so very interesting story uh on that front um just looking at the numbers what stands out 6.6 6.6 hits per nine. That's a thing the Brewers love. Guys who, you know, don't give up a lot of hits. Uh, 2.5 walks per nine. That'll that'll play. Four and a half strikeouts to every walk. That also plays. So uh, an interesting, interesting guy. So, yeah, I, this is what you expect from David Stearns. It's something that you weren't <laughs> expecting at all. And when it happens, you go, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So I guess they yeah. are adding pitching. <laughs> there you go. There's your major league piece. Yeah. So there it was. Um, I, I told you it wasn't even 30 minutes that that question aged out. So there you go. Uh, good thing I have Twitter alerts on. So we got that one in. But uh, yeah, I guess even looking at platoon splits, uh, kind of has well, not really reverse splits. Uh, 200, 242, 294 against righties. 196, 293, 373 against lefties. So maybe a guy you only really want to face righties. They're probably not high leverage either, but you know, uh, another middle relief piece there to go in as well. So there you have it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, next Patreon question. We're kind of shifting away from trade talk. So we'll just do these really quick here. Uh, Bob Peterson asking, is the surge in the Brewers offense progression to the mean? In other words, is it doing well? Because many of the position players are now playing to their expected levels. Ryan, we'll just have you take this one. I know you've talked about, um, you know, just the the averageiness of everybody and that kind of coming back to earth. Is that kind of what we're seeing? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, 
mostly though what we're seeing is just they've been running out for the last few weeks the lineup that they wanted to run out from the beginning of the season and that they hadn't been able to run out because everybody was hurt so once they got everybody kind of on the field and got everybody kind of past their injuries you know like they got a little bit settled back in after coming off the il uh this team has hit its stride. A lot of things are clicking right now. We talked about Hunter Renfro being on an ungodly home run binge right now. Christian Yelich getting on base like crazy. Um, Colton Wong has weirdly still been bad defensively, but hitting a lot better. <laughs> like it, they kind of have had a lot of things click into place here offensively for them. And so, yeah, I think this is progression to the mean. Uh, you could call it that. That's a fine you know, way to label it. You know what else they're running out there now? New balls. Oh, <laughs> Conspiracy theory. Bouncy balls back. Uh, Meredith Willis implied the other day, like, hey, have you noticed home runs seem higher than normal since the All-Star break? She's the baseball mm-hmm. astrophysicist. So keep an eye on it. Might be a thing. Might not. Uh, Ryan, I hate to break your heart on the Matt Bush acquisition, but this is why I should always read the reply when Ken Rosenthal tweets. Oh, no. Uh, Antoine Kelly also going to the Rangers in that deal. Oh, that does actually really break my heart. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was, oh yeah, I, I'm a big Antoine Kelly fan and, uh, I, he was having a very good year this year. He had had kind of a down couple years during the, all the COVID stuff. And this year he had reestablished his value was pitching really, really well at high a. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one to take, but. I mean, they they are so good with the pitching thing in general that I feel good that they will they will have other there will be other Antoine Kelly's behind him. So um, and just to to put a finer point on what I said before, I want to make sure I get this out there correctly. Um, When he was 26 years old. Yeah, let's make sure we get this right, because it's not it's worse than what we said. So um, what was a DUI hit and run incident? Uh, and he was he did three years or he was sentenced to three years in prison for it. Um, there's the other one too, though. Uh, in early 2009, Bush was allegedly involved in a drunken assault at a San Diego high school, which was caught on camera. According to witnesses, a drunken Bush beat up a high school lacrosse player with a golf club while screaming, "Quote: I'm Matt fucking Bush." Unquote, which was recorded on videotape. This led the Padres to designate Bush for assignment following the team's signing of Cliff Floyd. Yikes. There you go. And this was in two, this was in 2009? Yes. Yeah, and just to, to be clear about this, um, there's something that if you want to read something on this, Justin Mason, uh, who's a recovering addict himself, uh, he writes for Fangraphs on fantasy, and he was actually talking about this a few weeks ago, that the piece he wrote about Matt Bush he said is one of the his favorite things he's ever written in his life. So you can go ahead and read what uh, what he said because I think he said some very uh, meaningful things in there about uh, the whole Matt Bush thing. Um, and that was it's a few years old now. Actually, you know what? I'll just make a note and I'm going to put that in the show notes so that people if sure. they want to read that article can do that. But um, yeah, it's it has been a long, long road for him he's gone gone through quite a lot and things you know of his own making that he is is done so yeah uh, i would just suggest reading that article 
All right, another quick trade just announced. Doesn't affect the Brewers, but uh, old friends involved. So the Astros are trading Jake Odorizzi to the Braves for Will Smith. So former oh, Brewer, whoa, former Brewer swap. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, in kind of an interesting trade between like two really top teams there too, just swapping arms. But uh, you know, maybe one needed a lefty, one needed a righty. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's fun. All right, really quick here. Adam Post asking, following the Ashby extension, who is the most likely Brewer to be extended next? Ryan, uh, we'll just have you take this one. Who's your pick if yeah. the Brewers were to extend somebody? I feel like we talked about this last week, and I said Urias. We did a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, give me, give me Urias. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, and mine was Adamas to recap. Although, if his OBP gets too much lower, he'll be enjoy Gallo Town. So, <laughs> yeah, like there, there's also that. Um, how about uh, Devin Williams in a post hater trade world? That'd be interesting. Don't yeah. know if they'd do that, but hey, could be worse. Devin Bearwolf asking, what do you think the odds are the Brewers go into the 2024 season with Burns, Woodruff, Lauer, and Hauser all on one-year deals, a.k.a. no extension for either or any of those four? Paul, what do you think? Ah, uh, I think low. Um, I I think they will extend at least one of the good pitchers, um, probably, probably more than one of them. Um, I'll, I'll put the over under a two there and I'll, I'll, I'll take right on two. So uh, very, very low that they, they don't extend at least a couple of, them. I mean, if they're serious about keeping the window open or whatever nonsense yeah. they said earlier, bites of the apple, bites of the, oh, bites for, of the for, apple. for bites of the apple, you're going to need a couple of these guys uh, and Burns probably has to be one of them. And it would be nice to have Woodruff too, though. We'll see. Yeah. I think it's extremely low that none of them are either extended or, uh, traded by that point. I think that either one of those things could happen. Uh, I guess that's fair too. Yeah. So I, I think took that rosier approach, but <laughs> I mean, if if they're all there, to be clear, if they're all there in 2024, still playing on their final year of arbitration when the season starts, I will be surprised. I think there's things will happen between now and then, and there's you know two full off seasons to go before that point. So lots of things are going to happen. All right. Speaking of uh, questions that didn't age well, James Vandenberg asked before Saturday, why isn't Hobie Milner being used as a regular high leverage option? <laughs> Gustav and Gott both seem to be ahead of him on Craig's trust list. And then he quickly added this addendum update after Saturday's game. Please disregard this question. <laughs> this did not age well. And it proceeded to further age poorly with Hobie's outing on Sunday. So I is that the answer, Paul? He, he's still too liable to some hard contact and blow up innings like that. Yeah, probably. Hobie's good, but he's not as good as he has appeared for a lot of the season. So I think it's really as simple as that. He's yeah. good situationally, and the situation's not always there. Never buy into situational relievers maintaining their magic. Like, yeah. it, it comes and goes, yeah. and it just, you know, that... He is a guy that is relying on, you know, a few tricks. He's relying on some some arm angle stuff. Weird, weird arm angles do not consistency make, especially right. non-Lugie consistency. And, and like he's been great platoon wise this year. He really has. But that just very hard to keep that going over the long haul with Milner's delivery just is. And that's fine. This is what relievers are. And especially now in a day and age when we everybody's carrying like well, eight of them at any one given time, but they're rotating through 12, 13, 14 guys. Yeah, this is this is par for the course. This is how it goes. So I, 
don't don't get too attached to middle relievers ever, <laughs> unless they're Marquis Feliz, in which case y'all can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, one last Patreon question this week comes from Brew Crew fan in California, and this is one we can maybe discuss in more detail next week when we have another week's worth of data, but. Uh, Brew Crew fan in California asking, the toe tap heard around the world, discuss. <laughs> also, who are you most optimistic about a hitting improvement for in the second half? Of course, the toe tap, Christian Yelich's new timing mechanism, uh, small sample sizes indicate he, he's feeling a lot better. He says he's he's felt a lot better. Paul, are you buying into this fixing him, or do you still think you need to like clockwork orange him into pulling the ball more? So I do need to do that. That would fix him better. But actually, this isn't. It's not a bad fix to do. Um, the the driveline school does prefer that the timing mechanism toe tap, um, and it, it is, I think, a smart idea if you are st- starting to have trouble catching up to um, fastballs which he sometimes does. I mean, we've seen his pull data. He doesn't pull the ball as much as he used to. Um, aside from that, though, like just doing anything mentally different from him is a good idea. So um, if you can focus on being a leadoff hitter and just smashing long drives, I'm good with that. I actually think he is the most likely to continue this going forward um, because the bat's good. If you get his brain right a little bit, he'll be okay. Um, I also think Willie Adamas can't really continue to be <sighs> this bad, so I will... I will take him as a good regression candidate. I think he'll turn it around a bit um, on the backstretch. Yeah, I was going to go right to the Willie Adamas yeah. thing until you threw him in there at the end. Sorry. But yeah, I mean... I mean, y'all listen to the question. He wasn't really my answer answer. Yes. Yeah, but, I mean, you're looking at a guy whose expected batting average uh, is... Oh, actually, that has dropped. Hmm. Hmm. His expected batting average is down to 224, and his actual batting average is uh, not too far below that. I mean, it's below that, but it's not too yeah. far below that. So, yeah, it's a little concerning. He's still hitting not, for a lot great. of power. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's interesting. Willie Adamas' season, he's among a season of fascinating things. He has been fascinating because it's such a weird profile. And I feel like we say that about every player every week, but it is a weird ass profile that Willie Adamas runs out there. So I'll still stick with him. I think that there's more talent in there, but hmm, that uh, that expected batting average has really tumbled, and I wonder why. Yeah, I I was kind of surprised to see over the weekend um, they put up a stat that Adamas is actually among the league leaders in highest percentage of hits being home runs, which is definitely Joey Gallo territory, right? It was something crazy. I don't remember if it was like 30% or something, but it it's kind of nuts to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of hope this sticks for Yelich. I'm with you guys. Anything that kind of just builds confidence and, and gets him to think differently, probably a good thing. Um, even if it's not the the launch angle Paul and I would prefer, but it, it seems to be working out okay for them. Um, one last trade before we wrap things up here. Oh, Braves also Braves are also getting Robbie Grossman from the Tigers, so they are mm. ramping up quick. Um, all right, so that's all of our Patreon questions for this week. We, <laughs> we, should, we should mention yes. the Cardinals got Quintana just because. Oh yeah, that, that such, happened right before we started. Everybody's um, such a, a you know a scaredy cat about Quintana against the Brewers, and now the Cardinals have him. So it's yep. a very Cardinal thing to do. We should make note of it so that people don't yell at us. Yes, yes, absolutely. That happened just before we started talking, and uh, 
definitely going to lead to some catastrophic September happenings, I think. Yep. So <laughs> um, I'm getting flashbacks to the Cardinals trading for Octavio Dotel and just ruining Ryan Braun in the NLCS. So there's that. All right. Uh, so, yeah, plenty to talk about here. Um, that's going to do it, I guess, for us. Uh, reminder, when you become a patron, you also get a shout out here. So um, Dave Penchorn, Ryan, looks like he's he's a newbie, asked a question this week. So uh, welcome, Dave. And, and thanks for the question. And a reminder, if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash tailgate. Sign up for two bucks a month, gets you the question priority. Five bucks a month gets you all the extra goodies that Ryan and Paul talked about at the top of the show. Um, and obviously we're doing this before the trade deadline actually passes. And as we talked about, Ryan traveling has assured us that something weird is also going to happen. So, uh, if the Brewers make a, a world changing trade, a la Josh Hader, uh, we may jump on for an emergency pod after that. Uh, but in, in the meantime, or otherwise we'll, we'll, we'll probably leave the Matt Bushes of the world to talk about for our next episode. So um, thanks for bearing with us, everybody, as we kind of took a really deep dive into Josh Hader, but you know, I, th- I think he kind of deserves it after five or so years with the Brewers and ultimately probably going down as one of the best, if not the best relievers in Brewers history uh, fell short of Dan Plezak's saves record. So I saw Dan kind of celebrating that fact <laughs> a little bit today on Twitter in jest. Um, but I, I'm sure there, there's a lot more to be done about, you know, what Josh Hader meant to the Brewers and of course his being involved in that Carlos Gomez trade. And I noted on Twitter, Adrian Hauser is the only player left on the Brewers from that trade, which is kind of wild to think about too. Didn't think he'd be the last man standing there either, but um, appreciate all the questions this week. A reminder, uh, go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, give us a review. If you leave us five stars, Paul's going to read literally anything you write in the review uh, if you give us five stars. So please do do that. And while you're there, like I said, hit the subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss a single episode in case any emergency pods that may be coming along the way in the next week. Uh, But in the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate all the questions. And you can follow us all on Twitter. I'm sure Ryan's up for arguing more about this trade <laughs> in the coming days <laughs> instead of enjoying his vacation in Michigan. So um, that'll do it for this week, everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you next time here on Milwaukee's Tailgate.